I consider it a real blessing to be able to have a written record of God's work in and among His people. How that God provided with us, for us some guidance and direction of how we must face the difficulties in our life and the challenges that are placed before us. And the book of Haggai is one of my favorites because it has within it some messages that are valuable. In fact, there's three times as Haggai prophesies that God's word comes to him and gives him a message. In chapter 1 and verse 1, he says, In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, if you go to chapter 2, verse 1, it's in the seventh month, the 21st day of the month. And again, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. In chapter 2, verse 10, on the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, So why did you put all those verses up there? It's because it's God's message. God had, in reality, Three messages that he wanted to communicate to his people, and they are, number one, the call to build. Last Sunday evening, we looked at chapter one, where those people said, it's not time. It's not time for the Lord's house to be built. And God said, it is time. You need to be about my work. You're living in paneled houses. My house is lying in ruins. Get busy. Get to work. And build this house. Then we get to chapter 2, the lesson we're going to study tonight. The call to believe. Believe you can do it. Believe this house will be something special. Believe it will become something great. And then number three, Lord willing, two weeks from tonight, the call to behave. To conduct yourself in the right kind of way. And you know, when you start thinking about it, it's essential for us to believe in God's plan. In Hebrews 11 and verse 6 we read, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. We have to be the believers so here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2, discussing the present. Then we're going to look at verses 4 and 5 and look as God points them backward to their past. And then number 3, in verses 6 through 9, God's focus on the future, the prospect that they have to look forward to. So keep your Bibles open and let's look through those verses Let's begin, first of all, with verses 1 through 3. We've already read verse 1, so let's pick up with verse 2. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? You see, what we have provided for us are some details. The very first thing we have is the date. 
It's seven and a half weeks from the time he delivered the first message. First message was in the sixth month on the first day of the month. Now it's in the, the seventh month and it's on the 21st day of the month. Seven and a half weeks later. You people have got to have some sort of enthusiasm, some sort of desire to get this job done. I will remind you that this is 15 to 16 years after the laying of the foundation. You see, they returned from the captivity. The foundation of the temple was laid. It was exactly the same dimensions as Solomon's temple. But I want you to listen as we go back to Ezra chapter 3 and look at verses 10 through 13. You know, Ezra's recount is so vivid in its detail. He said, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, the king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good and for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. They all, then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. I want you to visualize what's going on. Here it is, and the foundation is being laid. And what do you hear? You hear all the praising going on by those to whom it was appointed to do it. But you hear the people shouting. You, you can visualize that in your mind. But look on at verses 12 and 13. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when, they, when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard afar off. You're looking around, and you can't tell whether it's the voice of joy or the voice of sorrow. Hey, somebody has to say, well, why are these people so sad? Why are they crying? They had seen the previous house. Here's the difficulty, if you will. There's a mental struggle with disappointment. And God said, those of you who saw the former temple, how is it now in your eyes? It is as nothing. Oh, that former temple was so glorious, so beautiful. Now we're laying the foundation for the new one, and it's so meager, so plain. I thought it was worth just a few minutes of our time to think about the comparison between the two. Let's say you were one of those old men. You were one of those Levites. And you had seen the previous temple and now you're seeing this new one. What do you have to compare it with? Let me take you through just a few verses in 2 Chronicles chapter 2. Verses 1 and 2. Then Solomon determined to build a temple for the name of the Lord and a royal house for himself. Solomon selected 70,000 men to bear burdens 
80,000 men to quarry stone in the mountains and 3,600 to oversee them. I want you to think, that's 150,000 men to build the temple. Not only are these men here, you have 3,600 who are overseers. They're foremen because there's a tremendous amount of work to be done. Drop down with me to verses 7 through 9. And writing to Hiram, he says, Therefore send me at once men, a man skillful to work in gold and silver and bronze and iron and purple and crimson and blue, who has skill to engrave with the skillful men who are with me in Judah and Jerusalem, whom David my father provided. Also send me cedar and cypress and algum logs from Lebanon, for I know that your servants have skill to cut timber in Lebanon. Indeed, my servants will be with your servants to prepare the temple for me in abundance. For the temple which I am about to build shall be great and wonderful. 150,000 men working, 3,600 overseers, and now you are asking for some of the most talented, skilled craftsmen who can be able to fashion the wood that's going to be brought in abundance. Notice with me chapter 3 now, verses 5 through 7. He says the larger room, that's the holy place. You know, you have the most holy place, and then the holy place was the outer room, the larger one. He said he paneled with cypress, which he overlaid with fine gold, and he carved palm trees and chain work on it. And he decorated the house with precious stones for beauty, and the gold was the gold of Parvarum. He also overlaid the house, the beams and the doorpost with its walls and doors with gold. And he carved the cherubim on the walls. Folks, if you walked into this temple, you would be amazed. The walls would look not only like they were pure gold because they were overlaid, but there would be intricate carvings on them. This was a beautiful building to behold. You've got to visualize that. We go to 1 Kings chapter 6. The writer of the book of Kings chronicles for us how long it took. You get to the latter part of verse 38. It says, so he was seven years in building it. 150,000 men. 3,600 overseers. Wood, gold, Beautiful stones. Can you get the picture in mind? Seven years in the building of it. And here, all these old men remember this beautiful building which has been built. And they're seeing the foundation laying of this new one. And they're crying because of it. The driving influence here is going to be two men that God has chosen. Zerubbabel. And Joshua. Now, for us to appreciate this, though, we have to see how God takes their present and then tells them to look backwards, to look to their past. So read with me now Haggai chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord. And be strong, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord. 
and work. For I am with you, says the Lord of God of hosts, or the Lord of hosts. Now listen to verse 5 carefully. According to the word which I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Three times he tells them to be strong. When he addresses, first of all, Zerubbabel, their secular leader, their governor. Be strong, Joshua, the high priest, their spiritual leader. Be strong, you people, all you people. Not only do you have all these workers, but it's all the people who've got to believe that this building can be something. And he says, work, for I am with you. I want you to get busy. I don't want you to keep delaying. Seven and a half weeks now God's saying, okay, I want my house built and I want you to believe it's worth it. For reassurance, God refers to his promise in the covenant. It would really be worth our time to go through all of the passages which talks about God and his covenant. We're not going to do that, at least not tonight. To appreciate the fact that when God makes an agreement, He always keeps it. God is a good God to His people. But He refers back to Egypt. So you've got to go back to the book of Exodus. And you go to Exodus chapter 19. As the children of Israel have left Egypt, they've crossed the Red Sea. They've gone to the Sinai Peninsula. They're kept now at the foot of Mount Sinai at Mount Horeb. And God has revealed himself to Moses. And he says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. God wanted Moses to tell the children of Israel, you're special to me. It's not just anyone. God is pointing back to the covenant that he made with them. Now if you go a little bit further to Exodus chapter 29... And God, God starts saying, okay, now this covenant, here's what it's going to provide for you. I will dwell among the children of Israel and be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. I brought you out of Egypt, dropping down to chapter 34, verse 10. And he said, behold, I make a covenant before all your people, I will do marvels such as you have not, have not been done in the earth nor in any nation. And all the people who are among you shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. God keeps reminding them, you are my people. I am your God. I will take care of you. I will provide for you just like I did when I brought you up out of Egypt. And then I go to Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. Now you have the following generation, the ones who are actually going to enter into the promised land. 
God had made the promise with their fathers at the foot of Mount Sinai, but they didn't live because they rejected God's covenant. Now as this new generation, God wants to reassure them, I'll be with you. Therefore know that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps His covenant and mercy with a thousand generations, with those who love Him and keep His commandments. God keeps His word. Okay, you're now ready to lay the foundation. The foundation has been laid. And now it's time to build this temple. Will God be with us? Well, let's look back. Has He been with our people? Most certainly. Whenever we do what God tells us to do, God takes care of His people. In Judges chapter 2, verse 1, when you get to the period of the Judges, I led you up from Egypt... And brought you to the land which I swore to your fathers and said, I will never break my covenant with you. You know, there's a lot of value in that. Value for us today. Because we can look back and we can see that we serve the same God that Moses did. The same God that Zerubbabel did. And you can depend upon what God says. Now here is the meat, if you will, of this promise. This is the prospect. Look with me now at verses 6 through 9. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of the, all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. Now listen carefully to verse 9. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace says the Lord of hosts. God had a plan, but it needed some time for it to work. God said, I'm going to do it. It is a little while. Don't expect everything to happen immediately. But it will happen. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to shake this world. I'm going to shake the nations. I'm going to bring glory into it. They could not see it, but this temple was going to become something much more impressive in the future. All they were seeing was just the foundation. I'm going to tell you, when I see a house being built, and I see the foundation poured, and I see the, the flooring, you know what my first thought is? Boy, that sure is small. That's not very impressive. Then as you begin to see the walls go up, it, it looks so much larger. But you walk inside and there's no partitions and you say, well, this is not that big. And then the partitions are put in and the walls are installed. And all of a sudden it gets much bigger. You see, it takes a while sometimes to see something develop. And all they're seeing is the foundation. And they cannot envision the future of this building. Let me tell you what he means when he says 
I'm going to shake the nations. I'm going to shake them and they're going to bring glory into it. Just a few verses from the book of Ezra I think would be helpful. Darius, who by the way is the one who's ruling when Haggai is writing this. Cyrus had much earlier commanded all this wealth to go with them, but it's Darius now who's saying, what do they need? Look with me at Ezra chapter 6, beginning with verse 9. And whatever they need, young bulls, rams, and lambs for burnt offerings of the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, oil, according to the request of the priests who are in Jerusalem, let it be given to them day by day without fail, that they may offer sweet sacrifices uh, of a sweet aroma to the God of heaven, and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Also I issue a decree that whoever alters this edict, let a timber be pulled from his house and erected, and let him be hanged on it, and let his house be made a refuse heap because of this. And may the God who causes his name to dwell there destroy any king or people who put their hand to alter it or to destroy the house of God which is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, issue a decree. Let it be done diligently. And then it says about Tatanai and Shethar Bozani, their companions diligently did according to what the king Darius had sent. You see, this king said, whatever it takes, get it. But then you come down a little bit further to Ezra chapter 7, and the king who follows Darius, his name's Artaxerxes, Tie that, if you will, to the book of Esther. In chapter 7 and verse 11, the copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave Ezra the priest, the scribe, expert in the words. And if you drop down to verse 18, And whatever seems good to you and to your brethren to do with the rest of the silver or the gold, do according to the will of your God. Verse 20, and whatever more may be needed for the house of your God, which you may have occasion to provide, pay for it from the king's treasury. And I, even I, Artaxerxes, the king, issue a decree beyond the treasures, to all the treasures who are in the region beyond the river, and that whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, may require of you, let it be done diligently. And then he begins to describe all the things there to give them, and some of them just without limit. You see, all of these kings, God was going to say, I want this one to bring it in, this one to bring it in. I'm going to get to Ezra 6 and verse 14. So the elders of Jews built. They prospered through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Iddo. And they built... And finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel, according to the commandment of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. What I'm telling you is, is that God said, it's going to be done. And it was. Haggai prophesied, and what God blesses takes place. I could stop there and you'd say, boy, that was, a, that was really a lot of enthusiasm. But I don't think that fulfills everything that's within this passage. Because in a distance, there's going to be even a greater temple that's envisioned. And it's hard to imagine at this point, as this little old bitty temple is being built, 
that God has in mind and envision a wonderful temple in their future. It's clear when I get to Zechariah's prophecy that he has in mind the church. Let me take you to Zechariah 6 for just a moment. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Receive the gift from the captives from Hildai, Tobijah, Jediah, who have come from Babylon and go the same day and enter the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Take the silver and the gold, make an elaborate crown, and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Then speak to him, saying, Now here's, you've got Joshua. We've been talking about him all along. Here's what he's going to tell him. Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is Branch. From his place he shall branch out, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory, and he shall sit and rule on his throne. He shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. You know who Branch is? Jesus Christ. He is both king and priest. You see, in the future, there's going to be this great temple. And guess what, folks? You and I are part of it. 1 Corinthians 3, 16, Do you not know that you are the temple of the living God, or temple of God, and that the Spirit of God who dwells in you? For if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. And then in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 16, he says, For you are the temple of the living God. And then the passage that to me just clinches it is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a temple in the Lord in whom you are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. You see, you started out on the day of Pentecost and the preaching begins with the preaching of those apostles and prophets and the temple of the Lord's house, the church, begins to be built. And now there are Christians, millions perhaps, in every country of the world, people who love God with the redeemed of the ages. Oh, what a wonderful temple God has built. The challenge for the people was to get them to believe in the future. This house became Herod's temple. This house, though, was looking forward to the coming of the church. And the same challenge remains today. You know, not just the glorious church of which you and I get to be a part of, but you see there's even a future for us. And what may appear sometimes today to be so insignificant, you know, you got to come to church tonight and 
and we assembled together and we prayed and we have sang together. And you may think, well, what's the significance of all of this and what does this really mean to us? Hebrews 6, 19 and 20 says, This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast which enters the presence behind the veil. The veil is what separated the holy place and the most holy place. Where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is now in heaven waiting for us to come in as well. And the wonderful picture that John sees in Revelation chapter 21. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven plague, last plagues came and talked to me saying, Come and I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and a high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Dropping down to verse 21. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. The street was, of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty... And the Lamb are its temple. You go from the temple that Solomon built to the one that Zerubbabel laid the foundation. The renovation of that building which became Herod's temple, the beautiful one in which we read about in the New Testament. But you come much further and you realize the temple that exists today is that of the church. And sometimes, oh, how we treat it so insignificantly. But the call to believe is to believe that there's a much greater place, a place where the Lord God and the Lamb are its temple. And that's when we're really, really going to appreciate the real temple of God. If you're not a Christian, you can't enjoy all of those blessings. You can't enjoy the future because you're not one of the saints, the people of God. But you can become one. We have a new sister in Christ as of yesterday afternoon. And what a person does is believe that Jesus is the Christ, repent of their sins, confess their faith in Christ, and be baptized. And for those who have done that, there's a wonderful privilege, a wonderful prospect for the future. But sadly, some people turn around and walk away from it. But God, just like looking for that prodigal son, is wanting us to come back and wanting us to be restored to him just like he did Israel. Tonight, if you need to obey the gospel or be restored to faithfulness, we encourage you to respond as we stand together and sing.